For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, new face on the program. Thrilled to have him uh, deep in the heart of Texas, but he's from Louisiana. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Eugene Ralph Jr., not to be confused with Eugene Ralph Sr. That's why it's there. How are you, my friend? Glad to have you today. Very well, very well. Actually, very happy after the Cowboys lost yesterday. You know, as you know, as transplants, we always have to root for our actual home team. Good man. Uh, I'm with you. I'm always my favorite NFL teams, whoever's playing the Cowboys. So I'm with you. Let's start right there, though, because on our show, you know, we talk about turning down the noise. We talk about we're going to talk about the economy here, which is always a buzzwordy thing. And there's a lot of politics involved. Perspective is important when you talk about a complex issue. Start with your perspective, because I, I think it's important to know where our friends come from here. You're in Dallas, but you come from Louisiana. That changed your perspective on things, not just politically, but life and culture and everything else. Start there as a way of introducing yourself to the folks listening. Your perspective is very much shaped by that, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's definitely, first of all, when you're talking about food, I mean, it's hard to compare any place. You know, whenever I'm going anywhere, I'm always comparing it back home and it never, never really measures up. But, you know, in the whole culture as a whole, I mean, Louisiana is, is a very unique part of the South. Uh, of course, there's even differences within Louisiana, but comparing it, you know, between here and Texas, uh, you know, you start to learn that there's a really uh, a defined kind of way that Texans really kind of move and live their lives that really it contrasts with Louisiana. Even in the South, it's a little bit faster. You know, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit bigger scale. As they say, everything's bigger in Texas, but unfortunately that includes things like corruption. So whenever we're talking about, you know, economic issues, that definitely comes into play in a state like Texas. Yeah, I can confirm. I spent a couple months in Alexandria, Louisiana, and there are some very, we'll call them special people in Sun Law. Um, <laughs> very unique culture down there, even apart from New Orleans and upstate and the other parts of Louisiana. Fine folks, though. Talk about that right there, because I, I think something we don't talk enough about when it comes to the economy, how much the government bureaucracy, how much corruption is an overriding term, but bureaucracy and corruption go hand in hand. The growth of government and the economy, and then we're going to talk about the recession, and we're going to talk about things like that. There's no way to untangle all that, is it? Because government grows. bigger the government, the more corruption, the more waste, the more fraud, the more abuse. That does affect our economy. It has real-world implications. It's not just a buzzword on Twitter that we throw around. Absolutely. And see, actually, this is one of the, the main things I like to bring up whenever we're talking about economy, especially as it relates to government regulations. See, the issue is that whenever you introduce the government into an economy, you know, through whatever kind of forces it wants to basically put in, be it through the monetary system, be it through, you know, uh, regulations on an industry, 
it, the distortion that it has from that point going forward, it's basically impossible to ever disentangle, you know, the government from what is private sector uh, actors actually acting rationally, you know, so that we can never actually just look at an economy with government acting and say, you know, what what is really uh, the free market's will here? You know, because there's just there's a, it's impossible to say where the free market decisions start and where the considerations of government completely stop, because most of the stuff is completely unconscious. It's unconscious. And the other problem is, is because we have representative government, we don't pay attention to the economy except at Christmas and when gas mm -hmm. prices spike. Now, COVID was an exception because we had, you know, shortages and shutdowns and things like that. So that was a little bit different. And people kind of got a little bit of an education on regulations and supply chains and things like that. But outside of that, the truth is the American people just doesn't pay attention to the economy unless it's hurting them particularly stressful. And that part of the problem here, too. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Whenever we're talking about recessions, I say a lot that recessions for the average person is just synonymous with bad times. And that's what they really what they mean whenever they start noticing that, you know, prices are going up, that it's getting harder to pay their bills, uh, you know, that their wages aren't seeming to catch up with, uh, you know, and their their portfolios are starting to seem to drop. This is what recession means to most people. So, I mean, it is true that a lot of people aren't paying attention to it. And of course, I don't really actually have any negative feelings for these people. I would say that the preferable situation is one where people don't have to pay attention to these things. I think it's generally unconscionable that everybody has to essentially be an expert on market forces in order to make sure that they can keep their heads above water these days. Yeah, and it's too complicated a term talking to Eugene Ralph Jr. The problem with the economy is it's a math-based thing. It's very, very complicated. There's different disciplines inside of economics. It's too big for even the people that do it full-time. They have specialties in it. They don't cover the entire economy. So for the average person, they got no chance of understanding all this stuff. What's a better way for us to kind of address these things? Like, you know, you say recession, everybody just goes, ooh, bad, scary word, things are going to get ugly. Or they hear things like, you know, housing downturns, which it looks like we might be heading towards. Or they see things like gas prices. What's a better way for us to discuss them that avoids that kind of buzzword stuff where it just kind of goes over everybody's head or the math where it just rolls my eyes because I'm not good at math. I'll admit it. I don't like math. It doesn't like me. We just we've learned to live with each other. What's a better way to talk about it, though? Because there's got to be a gap between that before you jump to the politics side of, hey, this is a nuts and bolts thing. We all have to buy stuff. We live in an economy. We work together. We got to be able to discuss this somehow. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really it is those kind of particular things that affect you specifically that really makes it real for a lot of people. So, of course, whenever you talk about the housing market, it can be a little scary. You know, the houses some people have billion dollar companies that they manage it, but most people's their biggest investment is their house. So it can be a little bit uh, frightening whenever they start talking about housing values going down. Uh, but I think that this is actually one of the good ways to actually kind of get into the topic and the discussion of saying, you know, how is it that what the government is doing is affecting you? It's things that people can actually look at, they can feel, they can touch it. You know, they know generally how these things operate. So there are some things that are always going to be a little bit high level. Like if I'm trying to explain to you uh, how the prices uh, of, a, of an avocado tariff <laughs> is affecting, you know, the deliveries of the whole produce market, then that, that, that's going to be a little bit difficult. But especially in a situation like now, everybody can understand that, you know, oil prices skyrocketing is going to mean that everything becomes more expensive because everything requires energy. 
Yeah, and you wrote about this when your piece in the Daily Bell. We're going to work off. We're going to link to it. Y'all need to go read the entire thing. It's also got some good information linked inside of it. You decided to make a lot of friends and write a piece entitled A Recession is Necessary, and then you tagged it, though unwelcome, to cover yourself a little bit. Start right there, though, because let's folks may not fully understand the economy is like everything else. It's got a rhythm and flow to it. There's a circadian rhythm to it. It can't stay up all the time. It can't be down all the time. It has to have some movement to it. But we also understand politically it's musical chairs where the people that are in charge, they don't want that down period to be when they're in charge. Right. This is the core conflict here of we need to have downturn periods. But then we start tinkering with the economy to try to pick and choose where that is. And that's where we start getting into making bad situations worse. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we see this happening pretty regularly in American history. Uh, of course, everybody remembers the Great Depression and uh, a few Austrian economists will be happy to remind people that the Great Depression was only so great because the government refused to actually let the economy be depressed for very long. Uh, the Great Depression, you know, just like most recessions, uh, would have actually cleared up fairly regularly, but the uh, recovery took years, not because of the war effort, but primarily because the government had decided that it was essentially going to take complete control of the economy in order to make sure that they could take credit for the recovery. The same thing happens all the time in the recessions, but whatever we're having, what it really is a recession in economic terms, of course, for the regular person, like I said, it just means bad times. Uh, really, if you're talking about the whole economy, uh, there's a perfect example that happens that comes up a lot if you talk about, say, a, a home builder, right? And there's credit in the economy that makes him think that there's, say, 20%, 40% uh, more materials available to build homes than there actually are in the economy, right? Because the signals, the pricing signals are completely messed up because nobody's actually buying on their own investment or on the uh, the near investment of, of somebody that's taking a personal interest in the company but that there's a lot of credit floating around there's a lot of fiat being floated around such that the prices don't necessarily reflect the actual scarcity in the market so the years down the road a home builder finds out that oh okay i don't actually have uh nearly half of the materials that i need to complete these projects but still many of them are not actually finished. There's only a portion of the homes built. And so he essentially loses his shirt because he can't actually cover uh, all the expenses whenever the bill comes due to say that we actually need to correct the price signals. Yeah, it's funny because like a couple months ago, I actually was pricing a fence for the backyard. I got four dogs and a bunch of teenagers. We need some fencing around here. Um, they wouldn't even quote me a wood fence. Mm. And they're like, they're like, it's too expensive. It'll take too long to get it. So we just stopped quoting it. We haven't quoted wooden in over a year now. And it'll probably be two years before we quote wood again. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out people building houses. I forget the number, but it's something like there's 26 different trades to go into house building. And that's why housing is such an economic indicator. Just run with that example for a second of these streams of the economic thought. We pick and choose one amount. We'll pick out you know, the labor market. We'll pick out the unemployment rate. We'll pick out housing. Something like house building and house selling, you get the loan portion of it, the finance portion, you get the material portion of it, you get the labor portion of it. That's where all these economic streams cross. And that's why those are such economic indicators, because something like just building one house involves so many people in so many different parts of the economy. Those are really the things we need to be paying close attention to, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I'm really glad that you bring that up. A lot of people... Uh, we all understand that you know houses they go up right and a lot of times we kind of see the development happening 
you know, somewhere in the distance, we notice that the land is being cleared one day and then the next day uh, there's 500 brand new shiny homes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of trades that go into it. Uh, so it is a very good indicator of a lot of how a lot of labor is actually being affected and also a lot of producer prices uh, on materials. So uh, it is the kind of thing that people should pay attention to. Of course, people already do. So I don't mean to tell people that you need to start paying attention to the housing market. Of course, the 401k pays attention to the housing market. And of course, the Federal Reserve pays attention to the housing market, though we wish they might stop a little bit. Yeah, especially with interest rates going up, people are going to pay very close attention, especially if they don't have a locked-in interest rate. Um, Eugene Ralph Jr. joining us. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to dig into this piece that he wrote a little bit more, why a recession is necessary, why we have trouble talking about grown folk things like, hey, sometimes you got to have bad times to get to the good times. He's also got a couple of really good one-liners in here we're going to talk about. He uses the term ratchet in a sentence that I just absolutely love as a writer. We'll point that out to him. From Texas, Eugene Ralph Jr. joining us. Her tale continues. Enjoy. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Having a good time visiting with our friend Eugene Ralph Jr. joining us from Dallas, Texas, uh, talking a little economy. All right. So you, you're you a Band-Aid off kind of guy. You just went there. You said, look, a recession is necessary. Why do we have trouble with grown folk conversations like this? Because I know nobody wants to have hard times. Nobody wants to have an economic. Nobody wants to see anybody else suffering either. And we understand the lower the classes, the more they suffer in a recession. But these things economically, we know, you know, good times don't last. You're going to have down periods. Why do we have such a hard time just culturally discussing something that, like we talked about, economics is a math problem. It's a mathematical certainty. These things are going to happen from time to time, but we can't seem to discuss it like grown folk, can we? Well, no, but I mean, it's like you say, nobody actually wants to go through the process of pain. I'm not saying that anybody should necessarily be looking forward to a recession. My hope is just that people can prepare as much as they possibly can, which, again, is becoming increasingly difficult because... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So the way that the government has been meddling in the economy, but it makes it even more important for people like us who are really paying attention to these things and are actually willing to be honest with people to say that, hey, you know, things are going to get tough. Uh, but just like whenever you break a bone, the doctor actually has to set it. Uh, the longer that you wait, the more damage you're going to cause. Yeah. And you took on the debate about whether we are or are not in a recession. You know, in one matter, in one way, it really matters. In another way, it really doesn't. But you talked about that part of the debate. The metrics aren't exactly really good metrics to work off of. You talk about things like GDP. Mm -hmm. Um, You talk about economic yield. We talked about housing a minute ago. When you sit down to look at these things of whether the economy is doing right or right, everybody's confused because we have a labor shortage. And we have low unemployment. That's just blowing everybody's mind, right? When you're looking at this, 
what's the indicators you're looking at to really see, are we in a healthy place? Are we not in a healthy place? Are we backing off from the cliff? Are we doing the Wiley Coyote where we're already over the cliff and need to step back before we drop? Yeah, well, we've been running further and further away from the edge of the cliff for a very long time. So really, whenever we're saying what kind of indicators are we looking for, I think I actually did talk about in the article that when it comes to GDP, uh, it can basically never really tell you whether or not the economy is doing well. But it can tell you whether or not the economy is doing poorly because it's always going to be uh, pot, it's always going to be influenced uh, in the positive direction by government spending. So government contributes to GDP. If GDP is negative, then that means that even with all the government spending, the economy is actually not very good right now. It kind of gives you an idea like that. Uh, but you know, beyond that, I really do basically go on the idea that is the average American thinking that things are getting harder? Um, you know, as far as economics go, uh, I might be a little bit uh, perverse in the sense that I don't really believe that we should be looking towards a particular indicator uh, on paper to say, is the economy good or is it not? My only concern is whether or not average people are actually having uh, a good or bad time about the economy. Do we need a better definition than just good or bad? Because we have a big pluralistic society. We can have whole sectors of the economy doing great during a depression. We saw that historically. You know, we had the, the Great Recession, they called it, in the late 2000s. There were sectors of the economy that did gangbuster business, even though the housing market collapsed. Do we need better terminology here of good and not good? Because we have such a diverse, large economy, you know, not everybody's hurting. Not everybody's doing well. Do we need a better way of kind of divvying that up when we discuss it for the masses, for lack of a better term to put mm-hmm. it? I definitely see why that would come up, especially, you know, we had the same sort of discussion whenever people talk about GDP because certain industries can contribute pretty significantly. So, you know, say everybody talks about that, uh, you know, Wall Street is going gangbusters, even as Main Street is clearing out and we're losing manufacturing. So definitely there are certain sectors that might actually do very well, uh, even if the economy overall is doing poorly. But I think at the, on, at the end of the day, if we're talking to, you know, the average person you know, we, we can't really spend a whole lot of time uh, explaining to everybody, every single economic indicator. Uh, I really do think that there's, there's, there's uncanny usefulness in actually just finding out what the sentiments are of the average person in the, in the country. Now, this brings it to the political part, though, and you touched on it in the piece. Policymakers, this is you, I'm quoting you, have a brief period to disseminate realistic forecasts for the economy. Now, they're not going to do that. No. Because part of the part of the gig when you're let's just say the president and and the president gets too much blame and too much credit for the economy. It's just whoever's in the seat. That's the deal. But the president and Congress and the national leaders, they play musical chairs with this. And I don't blame them. I'd probably do the same thing. They just want to try to keep it good if it's good. If it's bad, they just want to blame the last guy or the guy coming next to try to keep blame. It's always going to be that way. But like we said, there's a nuts and bolts part to this economy stuff. I think they have an obligation to be more realistic with the information they're giving. I'll give you a good example. Biden with the gas prices. You know, the comm shop for the White House was terrible on the gas prices stuff because it's like, well, if you're not going to take part of the blame when they came up, you're not going to get the credit when it goes back down. You know, you didn't have to come out and say, well, it's all my fault. That's not going to happen. But wouldn't it have been better just have some realism like, yeah, gas prices are high. There's not a lot we can do about it right now, but hang in there. They're going to come down eventually, blah, 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 wordy, wordy, wordy. That would have sounded better. And then when they come down, you get a little bit of the credit for it. Not, well, it's all Vladimir Putin's fault. And like, oh, this is all my gain now that it's dropped. 
I think a little realism would go a long, long way here, don't you? Right. Okay. So, yeah. So definitely part of the difficulty, you would want the government to be very honest about the kind of things that they're seeing. And that's, I guess you would say that that part in my piece was a little bit of, of hopefulness that the government might have a little bit of honesty with the people, even though it's not really characteristic. Uh, but of course, in a lot of ways, they really can't, right? Um, it, it would undermine their confidence too much. Uh, if they were really honest with people, they would reveal how much uh, of these problems are of their own causing. And so you really can't get beyond that. Uh, if the government is going to, in some way, actually be a little bit more straightforward, it would at least just say, you know, things are actually going to be a little bit more difficult, even if they're not going to precisely say that, you know, it's our fault. They <laughs> really admit that. Uh, but they could at least come out and say, hey, you know, these are the kind of particular things that we expect to see, you know, in the coming months. We expect to see food prices going up. Uh, we expect to see gas prices coming down slightly, uh, you know, but this is just a little bit of a, the elastic band coming back, um, you know, but I, I don't necessarily expect it of them now. Yeah, but if we're going to be blunt about it, we have to have recessions whether we like them or not. It's the role of government to prepare for crisis before the crisis. We've already learned with COVID that the reaction to a crisis that we're not prepared for usually gets really ugly and people get hurt even worse than they probably should have been. This, this is a foundational role of government is to prepare for crisis. And when they don't do it, this is something us, the people, need to pay attention to and try to hold them accountable for and at least make some noise about, shouldn't it be? Well, we, if we accept the frame that the government is capable of actually re responding to a crisis in, in a constructive way, then yes. But it's generally my frame that the government can basically do nothing right except for break things. <laughs> so we do actually have this issue come up where we actually try to say, okay, well, what is it that the government can do here? And it's the same way whenever I was talking about the economy earlier. It's impossible to know exactly where a free market uh, consideration of, of exactly, you know, what are, what are my economic circumstances and actually just making a business decision. Where does that stop? Where does the consideration of government regulations on the particular matter begin? Is it possible to disentangle it? And in the same way, whenever the government starts to say, we're going to respond to a particular crisis in the economy, it necessarily does that by shutting out other actors who would be more nimble, who would be better suited to actually bring relief to people uh, either in their own communities or just in their own particular uh, field of focus. So we really, if we're trying to talk about what can the government do to make this better, the first thing that they can do is just stop and say, hey, um, I think that everybody else, you probably have better ideas. Uh, that $4 trillion that we stole from you this year, we're actually going to give it back to you and let you figure this out. And on that optimistic note, uh, no, we've we've been beating up on the government a little bit. Let's Let's circle back to the beginning of this for a bit of an optimistic note, though. It does look like there's some decent signs that the economy might at least be leveling off and, and might get a little bit better in the coming days. What are some of those indicators like we talked about before? What are you watching for that? I know inflation's kind of at least leveled off for the moment. Gas prices are coming back down a little bit, although they're still high comparatively. What's a couple of the things you're watching for to be like, OK, here's some light in the tunnel that we can actually look at. And it's not just a train coming at us. Well, I do want to say I don't want to consider it a light in the tunnel just yet. I will say at the very least, the, the rate of our decline has slowed significantly, right? So, of course, whenever things were really first getting going, when, when the money printer was, was going at full bore, uh, and when basically all of the energy production had, had ground to a halt for a moment, 
uh, things were looking pretty dire in the very near term. And now it just looks like they're going to be very uncomfortable for a while. Uh, as far as what are the kind of indicators that we could see that would be overall improving, um, I think it's very difficult to actually see that the economy is going to be in a good place in the near term uh, without us actually going through something at least about as bad as we've experienced uh, pretty, pretty soon, really. Um, at the end of the day, everybody understands that labor markets are not very good in the United States. Um, we're having some issues actually keeping up employment. Uh, employment participation rate is dropping, pre is pretty low. It's unfortunately low. Um, so as far as actual, what we're looking towards, what is, what is the actual health of an economy? It's capital accumulation. Uh, it's production. And we're just not seeing very much of that right now. This is the yeah. biggest problem, right, is that people actually being able to save, the people's savings rate is, is extremely low. It's almost zero in the United States. So until we actually start seeing that being able to improve, then we don't really, we're not really in the place that we should be expecting it to, to turn around at that point. Yeah, and the personal savings, when you combine it with the level of personal debt, is a very bleak picture. We'll have to get into that some other time. That old, you know, if you needed $500 today, could you get it? That old metric. Another topic for another day, my friend. Eugene Ralph Jr. joining us. Uh, okay, we've been holding the government accountable. We've been pretty rough on them. Friends hold friends accountable. We got to talk about your Twitter feed right quick. <laughs> You tweeted, and I quote, if King Charles's only contribution is turning public and political opinion against aggressive modern architecture in his reign will have been a smashing success. Eugene Ralph, I defend your tweet, which I, I agree with, by the way. This. Look, I, I hate <laughs> modern architecture. There's a popular meme that goes around that shows a, a recent or more recently built house. I think it was in the 1970s very much of the the kind of modern architectural sense of the time and it's absolutely disgusting it's the most horrible thing that you've ever seen and then we have another picture of a house built in the 1500s and of course nobody back then who was building these vernacular homes was you know classically trained in an academy for architecture right i think that architecture and art generally uh the kind of things that are being produced in society says a lot about its desire to actually survive and right now, we just don't have a lot of things that are being built in the public space that really uh, encourage people to to look towards higher things and to really ex succeed on a human scale. It's it's towering, it's towers of glass and steel uh, that all look like they are, are essentially meant to oppress you. <laughs> is the way that I look at it. So I would say that if the if King Charles, since he does have this kind of interest in a, a more classical architectural style. If he kind of reinvigorates that uh, first in the United Kingdom and then hopefully in the United States as well, then I would begin to hail him as the king of ages. I am actually okay with the uh, towers of glass and steel. Um, my own personal architecture is I loathe with a passion strip malls. Oh, yeah. I am absolutely, I, I can't sit. We had our urbanist friend on talking about him the other day and he agreed with me. I, I can't stand strip malls. They're driving me crazy. And every time I turn around, they're building another freaking strip mall. And it's all it is, is the same companies. Every time they move a new strip mall, they just switch to the new one, leave the old one vacant, and then you got a mess on your hand. So, okay, I'll go with you on that one, my friend. We're okay on the agriculture. But, yeah, if we could get rid of it, if I could have my one dictatorial thing, we'd get rid of the And the urbanist can give a, a much better view on this than I do. I don't really specialize in the area at all. But, yes, uh, strip malls are, are they're, they're a measure of, of how bad <laughs> our whole development is overall. 
Yeah, strip malls are why we're failing as a country. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> uh, Eugene Jr., uh, great chatting, my friend. We'll definitely have you back. Till folks see you back on Herd Tell again, let them know where they can follow you, what you have going on, how they can keep up with you until we talk to you again. Absolutely. I'll be writing many more pieces. So, of course, we're working uh, on, on all things related to the economy. You'll see that kind of stuff coming out. But you can follow me on Twitter, and that's E Ralph Jr. So Eugene Ralph Jr., but with the initials at the front and back. We appreciate your time. Great talking to you. We'll definitely have you back soon. We're going to link to his Young Voices page and his Twitter, which you can see on the screen there if you're watching on the YouTube or the Facebook feeds. Eugene Ralph Jr., great job. Great chatting with you, my friend. We will talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.